0: The main point of this passage, um, if you look in the book of Isaiah, it's an incredible, incredible book that oftentimes probably goes a little bit neglected, but man, the book is filled with so many amazing things about what worship should be and is before the Lord. Um, It deals with the, uh, the sovereignty, the holiness of God, the attributes of God. It's the book that oftentimes you are talking to a person who is Jewish. This book, it's one of their greatest prophets, right? And this passage here deals with, hey, people of God, do not fear. And so verse 1 starts off, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I've called you by name, and you are mine. Basically, God is saying, hey, I love you, I've chosen you before the foundation of the world, look what I've already done for you. Verse 2 says, I'm your Savior, I'm the one who rescues you, you are precious to me. Verse 3 and 4 says, look what I've already actually done to other people on your behalf. Verse 5 says, fear not, for I am with you. He tells them again, do not fear, for um, if you are taken into captivity, I will be with you. And I have called you by name, and I have created you for my glory." So in this text, why did God create his people? What was his motive behind creating his people? What moves God to help his people? Yes, you're going to say, oh, because, you know, God loves. Yes, that is true. Yes, because Jesus loves you, because God loves you, but he also wanted to showcase his love through the people that he was saving. He wanted to showcase his power, his beauty through this people. We are on display for the world to see. Verse 4 says, we are precious to God and he loves us. First John 4 tells us that God is love, which again, the culture has taken something that is very biblical and says love is love. God is the definition of what love is. At every layer, as you look at God, you will see that He is a loving God, yet this verse pulls out further into the heart of God and begs us to ask the question, why were we even conceived or created? What motivates Him, and in verse 7 it says, you were created for His glory. Everyone who has been called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. The nation of Israel begins with Abraham in Genesis 12, right? He says, hey, I will bless those who bless you. I'm going to make you a—let um, a, me just read it. It's, it's right here. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. But in chapter 11, if you want to understand what the issue is, you need to look there, and it simply is the story of the Tower of Babel. There's a bunch of people there, and they are like, you know, they speak one language, and here you go, and they are just rising up, building, um, I think it's verse 4 says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. So then God comes down, and he says, I don't really like this. That's not the goal of why you're here. So God then disperses the people and all of a sudden has them speaking in different tongues, different dialects here, and so people just start forming together, and you have the different ethnic groups starting to pop, and, and there you go. Why? Because they were going to make their name great, which is in opposition to what God had called them to do. If We don't live in a time where that's what all our social media is about. We don't live in a time where it's all about you being seen as great. The key phrase here to show what um, is the whole idea that they wanted to make their name great. Ever since Adam and Eve chose to eat the forbidden fruit, they were like, hey, you know, even though they were already like God, but they wanted now to be independent of God and wise in their own right, the human race has now been enslaved to this kind of ideology. It's been enslaved to thinking that we are the center of the universe. The Tower of Babel was a visible display of that rebellion. So instead of destroying mankind, he just simply says we're going to start kind of anew with a special group of people. So Abram, here you go in Genesis 12, and this is what you're going to do. And I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a nation. You're going to leave what you know and go over here, and guess what? I will make your name great. You aren't anything special, Abram. I'm just choosing you because I see fit to choose you, and the world is going to be amazed I would even like you. Moses tells us in this primal kind of history that we have this ancient thing of, of God saying, hey, this is the goal of God here. So instead of man choosing to rely on himself and seek his own glory to make himself great, to make a name for himself, they started to um, live for their own glory. And he says, no, 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 that's not what we're going to do here. The whole goal is that God would be on display, that God's glory would be visible to everyone else. So that's why you have verses like 1 Corinthians 10:31. If you're like, "Oh, that's just for the nation of Israel, that's just for Jewish people," he says, "If you claim to know Him, then whether you eat or drink, and so at 1 Corinthians, is second, 1 Corinthians 10:31, do it what for the glory of God." Um, Matthew five sixteen. Let your light do um, shine among men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, your, who your Father is in heaven. Ephesians two ten, 2, 10 says you were then created to work uh, for good works. So these good works that we do is not supposed to go. Oh, look how awesome Andre is. Look how awesome so and so is. It's actually for so people to say, look how great God is. So you always have to be careful when something else wants to say, hey, look how great I am, and I'm not going to go into your political rant. I could, and I like to, (laughs) but the reality is this. Any organization that wants to take apart from the glory of God talks about justice apart from God when God is a God of justice, you should have issues with. So this verse simply says that God, He created, He created, He is God's great aim in creating and governing the world is that we would glorify Him. God created, formed, fashioned. Um, In the beginning what Genesis 1 God created, day 1, day 6, His crown of creation is mankind. He made male and female. man and woman in his own image, meaning you have a will, intellect, and emotion. I did say he created you male and female because it's important that what God created we don't seek to destroy. And so in this idea, this imago Day that we talk a lot with our group, that everyone has intrinsic value, dignity, and worth, that everyone matters before God because they're made in His image. It's what separates us from the dogs, the cats, the raccoons that tear up my yard. It's what separates us, that we have the will, the intellect, and motion of God. We've been created in His image. Psalms 139, 13 through 16 says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them." Jeremiah 1:5. 1, one of my greatest ones is this. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, right? He's going to tell a people a story that they do not want to hear, and he says, hey, before you and your mother's womb, I consecrate you, I set you apart for this task, Jeremiah, to be the weeping prophet. You have a purpose here on this planet, Jeremiah. And there's only one Jeremiah, there's only one of you and one of me, and you were made to display the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? How do you describe the glory of God? If we were, you know, more interactive here, you may say something to me and I would tell you yes or no, but the glory of God, think of Isaiah 6. Caught up, he sees, man, God is holy, there's nothing else like Him, there's this weird like alien-ish kind of scene happening. God is on His throne, the smoke fills the temple, and all of a sudden the seraphim is there and they're screaming, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah is undone. In that sense, he is broken. And God comes, sends that seraphim to cleanse the great prophet Isaiah's lips, what he uses to do his very thing, says, boom, we have work for you to do, let's go. But the glory of God here is, it's the holiness of God, that he is perfect, he's without fault, without error, there's nothing that he can do wrong here. It's his perfection on display here. That there's nothing else like him, his absolute purity here. What other passages come to mind? I think about Exodus 33, uh, verse 18. Moses says he's with the worst traveling people ever. And he's like, man, I wish literally I was just dead. I'm done with these people. He calls them a stiff-necked individual. This is worse than are we almost there yet type of a thing. Then <laughs> it says, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? Is it not that you are a God and you lead us? If you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go there. And he simply says, Moses begs him, please show me your glory. I hope that's our desire. Even though in some circles we have, they say a lot of those things, but it's kind of a freakish thing when people see the glory of God. They're not like, amazing and this is awesome, they're undone when they see the pure perfection of God. And here he says, you can't see all of me Moses and live, so I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and you're going to see like the backside of me only. God is walking down the red carpet, and it's like, oh, in the next in Exodus 34 says, his loving kindness, his new mercies, they're on display for the world to see here, and Moses is blown away. His face really shines in that place. People are like, whoa, you've been encountering a holy God? Cover it up, you're freaking us out. Isaiah's is undone. Paul can't even mention what he heard of. So these people that, oh, I'm with God, and when you see a living God like that, It's terrifying. And so it simply says to Moses, um, or he simply shows Moses, says, and proclaim the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him, proclaim the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Man, this is a powerful thing of God's glory on display here. Another thing of, uh, you think, only Moses kind of gets that. There's only one Moses. Moses, the guy who was thrown in the river, discarded, and Pharaoh is moved with compassion. Pharaoh's daughter is moved with compassion and says, wow, what is this baby doing here? Let's raise him up. And then he's like, oh, I'm actually one of these people that you're beating. I'm going to go ahead and take off. He actually, you know, kills the dude, then he runs away. God finds him. The burning bush kind of happens. He's saying, this is Moses. You have a, I'm Moses, or God, hey, I'm God, you're Moses, we have a job to do. And he goes and he says, hey, Pharaoh, I got a message for you. Um, God says, let my people go. And we like those stories. Disney even likes those stories. Winnie Houston and what? Uh, Mariah Carey sing a beautiful song about it, like, oh wow, and we're like, yes, yes, and we're like, that's so cool. But God has created each of us to display His glory just like He created Moses to display His glory. He created Esther, the haughty who wins the beauty pageant, right? For what? For such a time as this. <laughs> you have Joshua. You have David, the adulterer and the murderer. David, who is so broken about his sin, he's known as the man after God's own heart, even though, man, his reputation would be like, really, dude? Because he's so broken. So what is, uh, Psalms 34, 18 says that um, God is near the brokenhearted. Another reference Isaiah 55 there for you. He's aware of who he is before God, and he's also known that he is known by God since the time he was a little boy, and the prophet comes and says, hey, we're going to make a king for you, out of your sons. He grabs all his sons, and he's like, nope, nope, the tall one, the good-looking one, boom, no, nope, nope, you must have another one for sure. He's like, nope, not really. Like, nope. oh, the little shepherd boy, that one, the little Ryrie-like one, oh, well, you want him? Okay, go get them. Go get the little shepherd boy with those nasty little animals over there. Let's get them. But God chose him to display his glory through a little shepherd boy as only he could do. And you look at it, oh, that's so nice. God has made you to display his glory as only you were created to do, my friends. So the reality is this. Well, let's look at Saul, the persecutor of the church, Acts 9. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, God says. Stop some on the road to Damascus. And he's like, whoa, okay, this is kind of blinds him because he's seen God here. And I said, hey, Paul persecuted the church. You now will build my church. You're going to, I'm going to empower you in such a way that the world will see my glory through you. You see, the world believes, like the Tower of Babel, that they are the center of the universe, so we make up even laws that are against what the will of God is, and the heart of God, and the law of God, and we say, hey, the world is about us, so our sin really isn't about a theological thing that we sin against a holy God, it's really a psychological thing. How does it make you feel? Well, that's not what sin is. The reason it says you have all fallen short of the glory of God that we have missed the mark is because he is pure for perfection and we are not. And so though we strive to do things our own way and we want to make a name for ourselves, he's like, man, you're missing the mark, my friends. You don't seem to get it. And this is why I think I wanted to share the message with you. Benisha, I'm not going to talk about my open space right now that they want to destroy, okay? That's not important right here. That's what's just important to me, you know? The reality is that God has put us here in Benicia in this little 30,000 town to display His glory as only you and I were created to do. This church is not just here by chance. God has rescued this church, redeemed this church for a reason a purpose. So what are we doing to glorify His name? How is God's power going to be displayed? Glory is this. It's his love, his beauty, his all that makes him God, his awesomeness is on display. And God says, I'm going to display my awesomeness through you to a lost world. A lost world that our houses sell at like a million (laughs) dollars, which is probably worse. I would much rather be back in South Central LA or in Jacksonville or in the hood where people really know that they're kind of lost where people don't have everything and convenience and their comfort theology dictates the day. We reject prosperity theology here, but we are so down with our comfort theology. I don't know if that displays the glory of God. I don't know if Moses would say, well, he actually did. Excuse me, he did. He said, well, I don't really talk the way I should, so okay, I'll send Aaron. Worst mistake ever for the dude, but fine, there you go. Isaiah, well, I'm a man of unclean lips. I got you, God says. I'll clean those lips. Esther, well, I'm really, really scared. I know I'm beautiful. I know they chose but I remember when he did the last one, so I don't really know. Her uncle says, hey, for such a time as this, meaning, girl, you don't want to go against God. Why has God placed us here? Why did God see fit to place you on this planet? Why did God breathe life into you when he created and formed you before you were even in your mother's womb that you uniquely would display his glory as only you were created to do? Now, no one's going to write a book really about it and it's going to be inspired. Someone may write a book about you. Let me lie. They may write a book about you. That's awesome. But it won't be part of the canon. It won't be part of the Holy Scriptures, okay? I get that. But God is still working amongst his people. So the reality is this. God says he's created you, male and female, men and women for his glory. Which he's made you with your personality, your skill set, he's knit you together in your mother's womb for his glory and your life is not an accident, it's not some meaningless Um, random consequences of you just kind of banging together in some evolutionary mutation, X-Men is not real, this isn't some sci-fi kind of movie that you're just kind of maybe existing in. The reality is that the truth of God must dictate our lives. The truth of God is what's so beautiful because it's part of His glory. And so when they distort the truth of God, then you don't live. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When we don't live for, not your truth, but his truth, things get very, very messy. And so we enjoy him, as John Piper says, we, we glorify him by enjoying him forever. So if a billionaire gives me some money, I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm going to say thank you. I understand that that money was given out of your resources. I'm just going to enjoy it, buddy. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you are playing a sport, Piper, I love this thing, he says, hey, then that means that you really, you should really glean on your coach's wisdom, and you should play well. Oh, if you're seeing a therapist because you have some issues, then you should glean on their wisdom, and you're paying the money after all, and you probably should listen. So this idea, if, when God gives his commands, because here it is a command to glorify him, it's not like a, oh, well, if you, think, if you think it works well for you, go ahead. Well, if it's convenient for you, go ahead. It's actually, no, this is the command of scripture. You must glorify me whether you are doing something mundane as eating or drinking. Glorify him. Praise God for what the provision he's giving you in this moment and run. And we desperately need to live that out. We're in a time in our culture where, man, Genesis 1 is fully, they're attacking Genesis 1. If you can't get past the first book of this Bible, why would you want to read the rest of it? And You just read that whole list and you'll see that it is being attacked, 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 attacked. Well, that's the best thing to do, honestly. I don't think you understand that the enemy that we have that is seeking to devour us isn't going to be like just this, oh, you know, this wild crazy. He's going to run the most, um, maybe another religion, the religion of self-help. And he's going to cause you to think, man, maybe you're like God, because I think that's what he did with Adam and Eve. And don't you want to, you, you really, I mean, God's kind of short-sighting you, don't you think? I mean, your life, you're really not living it to the fullest. I mean, man, he. There's so many rules, and it's just, he's a joy killer, man. But instead you have a God who says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I promise to lead you beside still waters. I promise like the woman at the well, though you are just tired and burnt out and life has devastated you, I promise to satisfy your soul. The only reason your soul is going to be satisfied is you come to him and you recognize that, man, my sin is great because you're a holy God and you declare that it's wrong and I've sinned against you. And in that, he says, now I want to do a mighty work within you. So he says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, anyone called by my name, I'm going to go ahead and do everything I can according to his riches and glory to strengthen your inner being. I don't know. You go, oh, that's nice. But his, his riches and glory, all that he is, is causing you to be strengthened your inner being so that Christ says 317 may dwell, rest, remain in you. And as Christ rests and remains in you, he says, now you're going to understand the scope, the, the width, the height, the depth of my love. And in that, you're going to have my fullness. And in my fullness, we're going to do beyond what you could ever think, ask, or imagine. The issue is, we want God to do whatever you, beyond what I could ever think or imagine without God. He says, no, no, no. i got to strengthen your inner being. I got to come and make myself at home in your life, I got to clean up errors in your life, we got to deal with some issues here, and then I'm going to help you to pour my love into your heart, Romans 5, 5, and in that, you're going to understand the depths of my love, and man, you're going to be like the people of Israel and go, okay, God, if you're not there, I don't want to go, or let's just say Moses, because they were still pretty rough crowd to, to travel with. And you understand like, like David, man, I'm broken, but God is broken, he's near the brokenhearted. You will be like Isaiah when he says, man, I'm unclean, but God is the one who will cleanse my lips. You'll be like Paul who, or Saul who maybe was a persecutor, but you'll have a new identity. You'll be like, you know, the haughty. I ain't scared, I know that my, my looks got me here, but God's going to have to do beyond that, and the world then will glorify God our God. Wow. I think this is the most unpolitical sermon I could possibly teach in the midst of this culture right now. Why I want to do it that way is because I want you to understand, it's not about politics, it's about the book. And so if you want answers, you look in the book. You don't look everywhere else that wants to make a name great for themselves, you look at the one who says, hey, I'm the giver and author of life, and I'm ready to give good gifts out, and I'm ready to meet your every need, I'm ready to satisfy you, and I have the living water, and I have all that you need, because I'm the door, I'm the shepherd, I'm the, the bread, I, I've got it all, I am who I am, so trust in me. And how you trust in a good God is you listen. How you trust in those good guys, you take that and you go, oh, this is good. And you run with it. And you see part of His glory as being a God of truth, and you're like, wow. Even when the truth might offend you. Because my friends, if we're really honest, the gospel offends. The fact that you were in desperate need of a savior, the fact that you were dead in your trespasses, that we were, you know, children of wrath, Ephesians 2, chapter 1 through 3, all those things, that you were just like some of those, that's an offensive thing to say. You don't got it all together. But then verse 4 says, But God who is rich in mercy. Wow. And we get to live that mercy out day in and day out as we have been our, not just when we say the little prayer, oh God, come into my life, but as we continue to live that out of His mercy, our new every single morning. Let's pray.